and the quest was to, to chase the secrets of this magnificent object called a football. Welcome to the next episode of the Wonderful People podcast, featuring legend of Liverpool Football Club, Craig Johnston. Craig's story is so interesting that we've split his episode into two parts, so make sure you subscribe and come back for part two. Let's get into Craig's wonderful story. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People podcast with Dan Mordab and Phil Jones, Dan's younger sidekick. Oh, here we go. He started off on a humdinger. So younger sidekick, I know Phil, I know I look way older than my uh, 32 years, I wish, than my 40 years. But Mr Jones, what's happened this week? This week, I actually had um, a very large birthday. Uh, not one that I wanted to advertise or put out there. So when the presents started to arrive this week, they, someone sent me help it, help it notes rather than stick it notes and a blow up Zimmer frame and all sorts of stuff. But um, uh, Carol Whitworth, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, actually sent me a tomahawk steak. The biggest steak I've ever seen in my life. And Babs and I had that on Sunday for Sunday lunch, which was amazing. So uh, it was a, it was really a birthday week. The grandkids were outside, came seven o'clock in the morning to sing happy birthday to granddad before they went to nursery and school. And it was wonderful. So a really lovely day, but I don't want to advertise the age. I was just about to say, I was just about to say, you've talked very nicely around the birthday and it was a round number. So answers on a postcard. I think it's got a zero on the end of it. <clears throat> That's it. Exactly. It's got a zero at the end of it. That's it. So and, uh, on. Well, I was just going to say, well, today we've got an amazing guest and, and uh, I think we're going to hear some stories that we haven't even heard yet from all of our other amazing guests. I think I'm just excited. So <laughs> do you want to introduce us? I will. So... Uh, Craig Johnston, all the way from Australia today. So Dan's drinking coffee, I'm drinking tea, and Craig's drinking beer. Uh, we have the pleasure of speaking to one of Liverpool Football Club's most loved players and the man behind the world's best-selling football boot, the Predator. He won more major football medals than all the other Australian players in European football put together. He played 271 games for Liverpool scored 40 goals, won seven trophies, including the famous double. And most people would be happy with that as a legacy, but Craig is just one of those true entrepreneurs and a creative one to boot. There are many chapters to Craig's story. So with our coppers in hand, we're looking forward to hearing more about the remarkable life of an inventor turned footballer and hope to get the inside scoop on what he's up to now. Over to you, Dan. Welcome, Craig. G'day, g'day, g'day. How are you going? And happy 70th birthday, Phil. Oh, you <laughs> bugger, you absolute bugger. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I was almost certain that was going to happen. Oh, I no. almost ruined it myself, but I thought if I don't say it, Craig's going to say it. Bloody you Australians. Go. You cannot trust the Aussies. <laughs> you can't, you can't. Don't ever try don't ever try. There we go. Well, yeah. Craig, we, we have got so much to get through. So I'm going to start with the uh, the question. We start with all of our guests. And, I, and I'm almost dreading the answer. But if you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? Uh, well, well, actually, I was stuck in a lift uh, with someone. Um, Phil mentioned a double. Well, when we beat Everton uh, at Wembley uh, and won the FA Cup in 19... 19- 86, the week before we beat Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge and uh, Everton lost at Oxford. So therefore we won the double in that weekend. So as you can imagine, there's two teams in Liverpool and Everton came second in the FA Cup and the league that year. <laughs> and we won the, the league in the FA Cup. And only three teams last century had ever done that. Liverpool was one, Tottenham was the other. Who was the other one? Dan, see how much you know. Arsenal. Correct. So, well done, well done. So, three teams last century, and um, and I'd scored the, the second goal in, in the game, and uh, and basically, we were staying at the Mountbatten Hotel, and, uh, I mean, it's every every kid's dream 
to play in the FA Cup final and to score a goal. But that year, to win the league against Everton the week before and then to to just finish the game. So we all rushed to our rooms at the Mount Batten, which is right in the middle of London, um, near Strengthfellows. Uh, ended up there later, but different story. <laughs> uh, different age group will tell it to. And uh, the key thing is, is that I, I, I jumped into the elevator, right, because all the medals were downstairs and all the, the, um, the most lavish uh, seafood you've ever seen and champagne and, and all of that stuff was downstairs. And um, I was just desperate to, to just celebrate. Anyway, got, got in the elevator and it stopped at the floor below me. And Kenny Dalgleish got in. And Kenny's the manager. And if you do know, Kenny's a, a man of very few words. And um, most of them swear words, uh, by the way. <laughs> so anyway, the, the elevator started and then it got stuck. So to answer your question, it's already happened to me. So I'm there. I'm twenty. Uh, I'm twenty-seven years old. I've had this amazing up and down series of journeys. Now I'm stuck in the elevator with King Kenny, who, by the way, I'm sure has got ADD in terms of trying to get five minutes of his time is 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 almost impossible, especially when you're managing Liverpool, right? Can't understand a word he says. So anyway, <laughs> we get in. The elevator stops in between the two floors, right? And now it's, you know, five, ten minutes, it's moving on. And it, it's very uncomfortable now because he doesn't say very much, Kenny, right? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, hang on a sec, I've got the FA Cup winner's medal in my pocket, right? And the league, the league medals are downstairs, you know? And, and I just said something stupid, as we all would, you know, just to keep the conversation going. He still didn't say anything. But then three or four minutes in, he said in his dry Scottish accent, I son, he said, it doesn't get much better than this. Just like Shankly might say. <laughs> you know? and, and I thought to myself and I thought, mm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to savour the glory of the fact that I'm a little old bloke from Newcastle, northern New South Wales. I'm stuck in the elevator at the Mountbatten Hotel in the middle of London, having won the double and scored a goal. I've got to listen to whatever he says, and that was it. That was it. Anyway, the elevator lurched into uh, action. Next thing you know, doors open, party, noise, you know, wives, girlfriends, lovers, you know, next-door neighbours everywhere, everybody, champagne, everything. Brilliant. And, uh, and that was it. So, so oh, that, that cool. actually happened to me. So I don't want to replace it with El McPherson or you know, anybody. <laughs> no. Or Phil, <laughs> Phil Jones. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did we go from El McPherson to Phil Jones? Let's, let's oh, move on. I, I can see there's a very obvious connection there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll leave, I'll leave that to you, boys. Like, uh, Craig. Yeah, you, know, you, know, you know what? Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. <laughs> Hang on a sec. El McPherson hasn't done half the things for other people of Philly Jones, my mate Philly Jones has done. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> that Half is very things. true. That is very Half true. Anyway, anyway, she, she's um, called the body and, and Phil's called, you know, the stick, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, anyway, carry on, carry on. Okay. Uh, Craig, your career become, before becoming a top-class footballer wasn't a smooth one. There was a lot of sacrifice, grit, determination, a lot of the people listening to this will not be aware of that. Can you give us the potted history? And now this could take three hours, but I'm going to give you five minutes. <laughs> okay, uh, well, well, I'll do it in three because I'm 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 personally sick of the story, but but because it's so true, um, and because teachers and parents want to hear it and they they want their kids to hear it, that that's why I have to keep telling it. Um, and it, it's almost an anti-sport story and a, an anti-soccer story um, because, um, you know, when I was very, very young, um, I got uh, badly injured uh, in a fight and um, my, my left leg was infected and uh, I was in bed for about two weeks. Anyway, long story short, uh, the doctors came. They said, you've got to get him to the hospital straight away. So um, they took me to this hospital just, just down here below me in Newcastle. And they said, um, it's, it's, it's a polio and uh, we, we might have to amputate the leg. So um, 
uh, which would have been a problem because that would have slowed me down on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously my parents said, please, please can someone save his leg? You know, um, so uh, there was a, 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 quite a, a well-known doctor who was touring um, Australia. He was from uh, America. His name was Dr. Glass and he was an expert in, in polio. And he said, he said, I don't think this is polio. I think it's osteomyelitis. And if you let me operate, we can save the leg. So mum had to sign the papers and uh, he did. And the leg was saved, but I was six year old, right? And it was 1966. And on the television in my hospital bedroom, they were showing in black and white footage the, um, that England were, you know, going very well in this thing called the World Cup, which I didn't know what it was and yeah. neither did anybody back then. But anyway, there's a bloke called Bobby Charlton and a bloke called Jackie Charlton and Bobby Moore. Anyway, I was watching this in my hospital bed, right, having believed that my leg was possibly going to come off, right? And, and I thought, no, this leg's not coming off because that's what I want to do. So Pelé played in there as well, although he got kicked off the field. But anyway, it, it, it gave me this amazing uh, perception of England and Wembley uh, on this big-ass old black and white television, um, you know, that was yeah. as wide as it was uh, thick and uh, high. And, um, and uh, when the doctor did save the leg, um, I told a nurse, Nurse Karen, I said, I'm going to go to England. And I said, and I'm going to play soccer in England. And from that moment, that's what I wanted to do. Went back to school and um, uh, on crutches for about six months, wow. got better and better. Um, the complications came back. So I had several operations going forward. Uh, the doctor said, no, you cannot play team sport. You can't play soccer. You have to play golf or you have to surf. So um, I did a bit of both, but soccer brought me back in. Then I said to mum when I was 13, 12, 13, I said, mum and dad, I said, I want to go to England because I watched match of the day. It was on, um, on a... Um, a Monday night, we only had two or three British programs. We had Alf Garnet, Till Death Do Us Part. Um, then we had On the Buses. And then after that was Max of the Day. Do you remember? Brilliant. So every Monday night. I'm also the thinking, I can see Dan's face. Uh, the, uh, our listeners won't be able to, but he's got a look of Alf Garnet. Well, carry on, Craig. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, but, but he's a gooner, and um, and the other bloke was a West Ham West man. West Ham fan, yeah, that's it. That, that, that was it. So uh, that was the three programmes that we got from England, and we watched them on the ABC here. And uh, I fell in love with the game, right? But then all my schoolmates, who were all soccer players rather than um, where we live, because this is a coal mining town, Newcastle, founded by the Geordies and the Welsh, and the, uh, the Scottish coal miners. So we have a very similar heritage. So anyway, long story short, soccer was the go. I fell in love with it. I said to mum and dad, um, I want to be a soccer player. Can you please pay my fare to England? And mum, being a school teacher, headmistress said, well, she said, if you come first in science, maths and English, we will pay your fare to go to England. Working class family, dad was a mechanic, we didn't have any money, but I studied like no kid had ever studied before, right? And I, I, I nearly came first and second and third in all three. And such was my effort that parents had to uh, do their side of the bargain. So they sold their house and moved to a much smaller one further out in the bush um, to finance the trip. Wow. So that, that was the story. And I was 15 year old, um, I left here, uh, middle of December, which is the middle of summer, just after Christmas, um, and um, arrived in England in a place called Middlesbrough in the north of England, a cold north of England, right? And it was minus degrees. And I, I landed in London. I got the train to Middlesbrough, right? And there was a, 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 a note that said I had to get to somewhere called Hutton Road near Ayrson Park, which I did. There was a trial game on. I ran straight into it. Basically, I had... Uh, boots that were two sizes too big because that's what mums did back then and you had to grow into them um you're laughing boys because i know it's you know it's true um so i had these big boots it was freezing cold and i had an absolute shocker 
So there was whiz kids from, again, Wales, from Scotland, from Ireland, and Middlesbrough, because the English had figured out that you could actually get paid for playing soccer, for playing football. Someone actually paid you. I mean, this was a revelation back in our days. I, I don't know about you, Dan, but 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 Mr. Seventy-year-old there is grinning away, uh, <laughs> and all the old the old blokes will be grinning away because this was unheard of. You could actually do something that is joyful, rather than work in a bank or an advertising agency or a, a graphic design studio. You could actually play for a living, right? You could play soccer. So every kid in England wanted to be one. They were all tough in in, in Europe, and I'd come across. So anyway, I had raster hair, surfy hair, and they just kicked seven shades of, uh, of shite out of me, right, every time I got the ball. And we're getting beat 3-0 at halftime um, in the dressing room. Jack Charlton came in and he was bright red with rage. Um, and managers never usually come to trialist match, matches. It's not what they do. But for some reason, he was there and he famously went round the dressing room and said, you're rubbish. You're hopeless, you useless, you couldn't kick a cow in the guts. He said, and you, where are you from? He pointed to me with his big, big neck and his big Geordie accent. And he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Newcastle North, New South Wales, Australia. He said, you are the worst footballer I have ever seen in my life. Now, no. <laughs> hop it, but he didn't say hop it. He said the the Geordie equivalent in '75 <laughs> black and white television, uh, where bullying was was the mode of the day, and you know what? It really worked. Yeah. Uh, so I said, innocently, "What now? Half time, we're getting beat three 0 He said, "Yeah, now, hop it." So everyone was like a bit shocked and horrified, even at that uh, 1975. And um, I packed my little bags off, went out the front door. Uh, it was snowing, the dressing room, snowing like you wouldn't believe and sleep and mud <laughs> in my hair and stuff all over my face. And uh, I burst into tears and I, uh, I didn't know what to do because I didn't know where I was supposed to be staying. Wow. So I made my way to a, a, a side road uh, in Middlesbrough and I, I actually flagged down a, um, a car. I thought it was a taxi, but it was actually a car. <laughs> and the bloke said, what, what, what are you doing? And I said, um... I said, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm from Australia. I said, I'm 15. I said, I, uh, I, uh, I just had a trial. Uh, he said, what? And, 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 and I said, I just had a trial with Jack Charlton. Jackie Charlton, man, Jackie Charlton. <laughs> what did he say? And I said, he said, oh, he said, I'm very good. Anyway, <laughs> I said, but I don't know. I don't know where we're supposed to. He said, I know where the trialists live in his Middlesbrough accent. Sound a little bit like Chubby Brown. Actually, it might have been Chubby Brown. But uh, he said, um, he said, jump in. He said, you're talking about the Medhurst Hostel. He said, that's where the digs are for the club. I said, yeah, please, please. I said, but I don't have any money. I haven't uh, exchanged. My, I've got Australian dollars. He said, he said, mate, just don't forget me when you're famous, right? And he, he took me there and he dropped, dropped me off. And then I, I, I went in and there was a lady called Nina Postgate, who was a lovely lady. And uh, she said how did your trial get on? And I burst into tears and I told her and she said, well, look, I'm sorry, love, but you can't stay here. You know, this is for the Middlesbrough players that make it or, or make trialists, you know? Um, so um, I said, well, well, okay. She said, but I will give you some beans and toast, cheese and beans on toast, a bit of balm cake in, on the side. And, um, and then she said, uh, she said, then you have to leave. So uh, again, uh, at the beans on toast and it was like glorious. I still remember the taste of it in my mouth. And then um, I, I, I said, look, there's one, one last thing. I've come all the way. I, I have to speak to my mum and dad. She, she said, well, there's a phone right under the, the stairway. She said reverse charges. So anyway, after about an hour, mum came onto the phone and she said, Craigus, Craigus. She said, are you in England? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, are you in London? I said, no, no, I'm in Middlesbrough. I've had a trial. And Jack Charlton was there. Colin, Colin, come to the phone. Jack Charlton was there. Jack Charlton saw him play. You know, I know I sound like Dave Edna. But, uh, uh, Actually, you're, very, you look a bit yeah. like Dave Edna as well. I know. I know. It's the, the pointy sunglasses. 
Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. And, uh, and mate, the uh, dad came to the phone and he said, he said, he said, Craigie, Craigie boy, he said, what did he say, lad? What did he say? And I said, Dad, he said, I'm one of the finest players he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> and I hung the phone up and I burst into tears again. Oh. Anyway, Dan, that's that's my story. That's my introduction to uh, <laughs> to uh, British football. And uh, yeah, I know it was longer than five minutes. So I'm sorry, Phil, but Go on, Dan. well, do you know what? I mean, it's like that's enough of a story for most people's lives. But we've just started with Craig. <laughs> We're literally at 15, let alone the rest of his life. So, I mean, incredible story. But then I know there was a journey to finally getting a big break. So, how and when? Because we know, we know the Craig Johnson, the, the famous Craig Johnson, you know, the, 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 the winning the double, scoring the goals. But how did you finally get your big break? And when did it happen? Yeah, that, that's the funniest phrase, Dan, I've, I've ever heard. And you call yourself a football man. What was that? You, you do not get a big break in football. Right? <laughs> what, what, what Jackie Charlton said was true. You are the worst footballer I've ever seen in my life. What he was saying is compared to everyone else, you can't control the ball, you can't dribble, you can't pass, and you can't shoot. That's what he actually said to me. And, and you know what? He was right. And years later, I've done certain speaking events with him, and I gave him loads of stick, and he gave me loads of stick back, and we, we kissed and hugged and made up. And Jackie Charlton was right, and he was a good man. He was a very, very good man. You know he just passed away. Yeah. Yeah, the poor thing, poor thing. Yeah. And, uh, and love to his family. So um, the thing is, I, I realised I was really good at school. I told you that. And uh, what Nina Postgate had said, she said, you're not allowed to stay here, but there's an old coal shed out the back. She said, wow. long, as long as you hide from the players and Jackie Charlton and the staff when they come, you'll be OK for, for two or three days until you, you, you sort yourself out and you get over the jet lag and, she, and you dry off. She said there's a, a radiator in there and, um, and what have you. And I took the soccer ball in with me that I'd, I'd brought from Australia uh, and I picked it up and I looked at it, right, and I, uh, I saw it as the map of the world. By the way, I'm a, um, I'm a bit of a dreamer, if you didn't know, and a, and a bit of a creative. Uh, so I held the, world, the ball up and it looked like a map of the world. And I was up here in freezing England and down here was my mum and dad and sisters, right, and family. And friends on the beach, uh, you know, in the, in the golden sunshine. And I just said, what have I done? What have I done? And then, you know, the ball, you know, came back as, as a football. And I realized that Charlton was right compared with the other kids. So what did I have to do to be able to dribble the ball, pass the ball, shoot and control it like the other kids? And the answer was in the science of the ball because a football is actually um, a perfect object. Right? In geometry, it's called a tri truncated icosahedron with the pentagons and the hexagons all stitched together. Okay, so the, the ball doesn't make mistakes. The person making it, using it makes the mistakes. And the more you use it, the less mistakes you make. Now, none of these kids are from uh, Chesterley Street or Middlesbrough or, or in the valleys or Wales or, or from Glasgow, could play cricket or surf, right? Or could do science and maths like I could because I practice it more often. You know, a lot of people say to me, why are Aussies so shit at soccer? <laughs> and you know what I say to them? I say, why are the Brazilians so shit at cricket? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Good point. You're laughing. You're yeah. laughing, but there's a fundamental truth. So I came to the conclusion that to get a ball from A to B is about what part of your foot on what part of the ball to what effect. So if you think about a table tennis bat or a cricket, cricket, racket, a cricket bat or a, a, um, a tennis racket, you put top, top spin and side spin and it's the same with your boot. That's what Swerve is. That's why Beckham was such a beautiful passer of the ball. So it was that science and working backwards from it, and I figured it out. So in the Middlesbrough car park every day, a couple of players had heard about the roasting. One, one actually won the World Cup, 
uh, at left fullback for England, a chap called Terry Cooper, one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in your life. Another one was a very hard Scotsman called Graham Souness, <laughs> right? Uh, and there was a guy called Willie Madden, some beautiful human beings, actually. And they, they heard about the, the roasting the Aussie got, and he's staying in the coal shed. So they came and said, if you clean our cars and the boots, we'll give you some money so you can afford to op it back home to Australia. So that's what I did. So I came and cleaned the cars uh, near, at the Medhurst Hotel. Then I went down to Ayrson Park after, when they were training. And after Charlton got there, I'd get there in the morning at 6 o'clock, half past five, six. Charlton would come. I would hide. They'd go to training. I'd do all the, the boots and all of that. Then I'd go back to the Medhurst for lunch before then. Then I'd come back in the afternoon. But what I actually created was um, a control, a pass, a dribble, and a shoot um, obstacle course in the Middlesbrough car park, listen to this, which was roughly the size of a penalty box. So I drew an actual full-size goal. Do you know what size it is, a full-size goal? Standardised all over the world. No. I well, I, I asked the same question to Michelle Platini. Don't feel bad, Dan, because <laughs> you got, you got the, the question about Arsenal. Well, you nearly did. Uh, anyway, you got that one right. I'll give you that. Don't feel bad. I, I asked this of Sepp Blatter, and I asked it of Michelle Platini, and they didn't know either. Um, anyway, imperial measurement, because the Poms invented this, the rules of soccer, eight yards by eight feet. You'll never forget it. And okay, very quickly, the penalty box dimension, still the same after all these years, after you guys invented it. 18 yards by 44 yards with a six yard box and a 12 yard penalty spot. You know the arc of the D? It's a 10 yard radius from the penalty spot. So using that information, I drew a two scale painting setup on the floor and the, the brick wall of the, uh, of the Middlesbrough car park. So I was actually creating, uh, and I created for myself um, an attempt to mistake metric, meaning, you know, we all try and chip the crossbar. We all try and bend the ball in. We've all done this stuff against the garage wall. Yeah. You know, when we've yeah, done yeah. classic stuff, right? And, and we paint bits and pieces. But I had this full paint and chalk set up. So if I had a, a goal and I had five targets in the goal, then I had 10 shots at the goal. And if I only got eight in the hole that I'd drawn, I'd have to start again till I got 10 without a mistake. So that's just for shooting. Then I got church pews that I stole from the church, right? But, but don't, don't tell the priests. Even. Because they'll have me. Uh, <laughs> they'll have me in trouble, I mean. Um, you know, you set them up, right? And then you pass the ball off them. Right, And if I missed the target, which was one foot by one foot, I'd have to start again. So dribbling, control, pass, shoot. Now, what happened was that um, if I really concentrated, it would take about six hours. Sorry, if I didn't concentrate, if I just was doing it. But if I really concentrated, I could get it down to four hours. And then if I got four hours in, I could go home and I could eat the, um, the same um, beans and, 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 and on toast with cheese, melted cheese, as the young apprentices and hang out with them. So my motivation was, was being like them and, and, you know, being one of the, the, the blokes that was, was an apprentice. So I, I created a data set without even knowing. It was black and white television. It's 1975. So I was creating a data set, which meant that I could literally tell by how long I stood doing these defined drills for control, pass, dribble, shoot. I, I basically could be a better player at night than I woke up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then I could go to oh. bed having cheese on toast and beans, a, a, a happy man, and, and that's what happened. So you asked me, you actually <laughs> asked me when I got my break. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what happens if you spend that much time so focused doing something, you get better at it. Like it's like riding a bike, it's like shuffling cards, it's like uh playing a guitar. You know, if you play a guitar or, or, or a piano, you've got chords and scales. 
well, again, without knowing it, I was inventing my own scales and chords, right, so that I could harmonize when I got onto the field. So on the way home, and th this is another really important part of the story, at Ayrson Park, right, so, and again, it was always, always dark there. Um, <laughs> on the way home, there was a group of kids on Ayrson Park Road, cobblestone streets, and it wasn't gas lamps, but they were the old gas lamps that were now fitted with electricity. So it just looked the picture perfect uh, where you'd shoot a movie. Every night there was a pickup game. So I would walk past them way on the other side of the street, right? And then when I started sort of, um, uh, if you like, uh, got enough money to go home, I realised I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to get a job. You know, I, I wanted to be a doctor or uh, especially because the doctor saved my leg uh, or I wanted to be an architect or I wanted to be a, a, a creative designer, you know, all of that stuff. And then I thought, no, I want to be a, a footballer. And I'd say it with a, a Middlesbrough accent <laughs> because I wanted to be one of these other guys, but I still couldn't play. So anyway, I had a Middlesbrough tracksuit now because one of the lads gave me one. And uh, uh, one of these street kids said, Oi, you know, mister, come and play with us. And I said, no, I'm not very good. And they all stopped playing and they ran over and said, where are you from? I said, I'm, I'm from Sydney, you know, Newcastle, Australia, near Sydney. And they said, oh, you're Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, Skippy, Skippy. And they bounced <laughs> away, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. So anyway, next day, I'm, I'm walking back home, or the next night I'm walking back home after, after all the jobs. Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo. Come and play with us. Come and play with us. Anyway, so I went over there, and uh, these kids were mm, three and four, five years old, younger than me. So they, they were, but they were so good. Anyway, so I played with them, and they nutmegged me and took the piss out of me, something ruthless. Uh, but they, they, they did it in a very, very nice and kind way because, you know, because I'd spoken to them and all of that stuff. And they, they were intrigued by the Rasta hair, you know, a surf, surfy dude. And um, uh, so any, anyway, that's what I would do. So I did that for about six months. So I did the car park drills. Then my, my match day was with the kids. So I'd missed the beans on toast, but, but I was happy with that, right? And, and Nina would leave, leave a portion for me and I, I'd heat it up. So, you, you know what, you talk about kids and social media and growing up today and distractions. Mate, I'm talking about this was the most soulful, even though I was in a prison that I couldn't get out of, right, in terms of what I was, it's so simple and pure and beautiful. And the quest was to, to chase the secrets of this magnificent object called a football and just try and you know, as my dad said, make the ball talk to you, make it talk to you. And it's the language that you put on the ball that actually makes it talk. Every player that passes a ball, right, is to the millimeter and millisecond perfect with his timing and where he puts the ball. It's a math, it's a mm -hmm. science. So that was my discovery. And, uh, and I'm going to cut to the chase and say, what was the big break? And the big break and you're dead right, what happened was um, there was a reserve game, uh, there was a whole lot of illness uh, in the middle of a dressing room, like a virus went round, and a lot of players uh, got sick and couldn't play and were, were you, know, you know, staying at home, um, not to infect the rest of the dressing room. So they couldn't play a reserve game away at um, Scarborough, somewhere like that on the coast. So they said, well, what about the kangaroo in the car park? You know, put him on the team sheet. And they said, no, he's, he's crap, he can't play. You know, he practices all day, but he can't play. So anyway, they said, well, put him on the team sheet and then we won't have to forfeit the game. And that's what happened. So now I'm in the, the Middlesbrough reserve team, right, which had a lot of the youngsters in it. And, um, and fundamentally, uh, getting beat at, at half time and a couple of players got injured and I had to come on, getting beat. So anyway, I'd been practicing, as I explained to you, chipping the crossbar, I would throw the ball off this brick wall, it would bounce once, and then I would volley it right foot into one of the four targets. I would throw it on that wall, come back, and then I would let it go across my body, volley it with left foot, and then, right, 
I would do dead ball shooting with the five targets, five, five balls, five targets, completely successful. Anyway, you spend six or seven or eight months doing that. Um, anyway, long story short, I scored a chip, I scored a, a dead ball, and I, I scored a volley. And we won the game. No way. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, I couldn't believe it, and, uh, and no one could. Wow. And, uh, and basically, uh, we, we, uh, we went back, and uh, very shortly after that, I got offered a contract. So, uh, wow. You know, Jack, by Jack Shelton. Uh, Jack didn't know. Jack didn't know. Uh, and he didn't need to know that stuff. You know, his job was the first team. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, wow. that, that's a, what that could happen. There's a book right there, isn't there? It's, Craig, it's Craig I, need to, uh, I need to move you now quicker yeah. than I would have liked to have from okay. that point where you got the contract to Middlesbrough to ending up as a, a Liverpool player. That, that is quite an amazing story in itself. But, but that, that moment, and there were 10 clubs after you, when you chose Liverpool. Can you just tell us that story? Sure, sure, sure. Well, again, um, another little apology to, to Dan there, because the second break, the second break, which will answer your question, Phil, the second break came when I was playing in the reserve teams at, at 17 years of age, and another virus about a year later hit the club again, and again wiped out a number of players, including first-team players. So at 17, 17, I think, years, four months and a couple of days, I became the youngest player ever to play for Middlesbrough. Wow. And I made my debut uh, at Ayrson Park and had a, a, a brilliantly uh, good game. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is when I arrived, I was 15, the worst player that uh, has ever been in England, apparently. And uh, <laughs> by, by understanding the, the beauty of the ball and the the uh, the way to get better. So so that's the story. And uh, as as Phil then said, um, I was actually playing really well for Middlesbrough, and we we, we were right up high in the um, in the league, and um, you know you know like fifth in the league, Middlesbrough, you know right up there. And, and at the end of the season, um, nine or ten clubs famously came in for me: uh, Arsenal, Spurs, Man United. Uh, Aston Villa, you know, that, that, that man said all, all the big clubs all came in. Um, and one in particular, Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough. And Brian Clough was a big fan of mine because I was a typical Brian Clough Forest player with energy and attitude. And, uh, you know, I was like a dog with a bone. Um, so uh, uh, the secret was my enthusiasm. And the fact that um, I, I just feel I loved it far more than the other apprentices that were there were all better than me, and they were naturally gifted. And I found that the more naturally gifted a player was, the less the less work he actually did um, to to get better. And the other funny thing I meant to tell you before we moved to Liverpool, when the game finished, my debut, right, uh, and we won. It was an FA Cup. Uh, all, a bunch of fans ran onto the field and everybody was there congratulating me, right? Um, uh, but it wasn't the Middlesbrough players, the first team. You know who it was? <laughs> it was the scruffy street kids all jumped over the barrier, all as a gang, and just were hanging off me, going, Skippy, 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 the push kangaroo. And I, car I carried them off with me, you know, and it was such a beautiful moment, beautiful moment. So Craig, you've obviously you've you've been giving us a little bit of a bit of insight into your Middlesbrough career. Then then ten clubs. You go from a guy you know from Australia. You, you've shared an amazing story. You've got ten clubs after you. What happened then? Well, it, it came down to two, uh, and I think they were first and second in the league at the time. Um, and one was Liverpool, um, and the other one was uh, Brian Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest, and. Uh, Again, like uh, two and a half years earlier, when uh, I had a problem and I phoned my dad and uh, uh, I phoned dad and said, look, dad, I've got another problem. <laughs> I said, all these clubs want to sign me, but uh, the two that I, I think are the most important are Nottingham Forest and Liverpool. Um, what do you think? And dad said, well, 
from what I can see, lad, he said, uh, Brian Clough is a man, um, but Liverpool's an institution. He said, I, I, I'll, I, I'd go with Liverpool. And I thought, he's right. He's 100% right. So I did. So I did. <laughs> I, uh, I signed for Liverpool. Uh, and that's, that's how I got there. And I also think that Graham Souness, uh, seeing what, I'd, uh, what had happened to me early on in Middlesbrough and feeling sorry with me and seeing the, the enormous effort that I put in to make something uh, and prove people wrong, um, I think he'd put in a, a big word with Bob Paisley which is why, um, why Liverpool, because Graham was at Middlesbrough, of course. Brilliant. What a story. And then the Liverpool story itself. Is like, so you went from being this um, crap player. You're now in the Liverpool team at a time when Liverpool were, and I could say this as a Man United fan, like with gritted teeth, but they were the best team by a mile in the country. Everybody looked at Liverpool as being pretty much unbeatable and you became a major part of that Liverpool story. Um, are there any highlights of that period that you want to share with us? Oh, mate, every day. Every day was a highlight. Are you, are you kidding, Phil? It was a fair, mean, old, um, a fair old team yeah. you had around you there, wasn't it? Mate, 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 listen, listen, listen. You know, when you say a fair old team, if you split them in half, right, in training in the morning, now you've got two fair old Six aside teams. <laughs> so the joy for me for playing that 10 years for Liverpool was every morning a six aside where the jocks, right, Dalgleish, Souness, Hansen, Stevie Nicholl would take on the rest of the world. Grobler, Johnston, Mulby, you know, uh, Sammy Lee, you know, stick, sticking up for England. Uh, so, <laughs> so, 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 mate, when, when you say highlight, uh, you know, wow. even... even there's a fam fam famous one when, when I first uh, got there, I, I went straight into the reserves because I, I was young and I was raw behind the ears. And by the way, um, I, was, I was bought to replace Kevin Keegan, who had gone to Hamburg, you know, and he was European Player of the Year. So I was a lot younger. And they bought Dalgleish to, re to replace, uh, uh, well, Toshak had gone as well. So, so yeah, it, 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 it was... I wasn't ready for the first team when I got there because I was too young and I hadn't played enough football, literally. If it wasn't for the street kids, I wouldn't have played any football. Wow. Real football. Real football. So, so the funny thing was that, um, was that uh, Ken, Kenny was particularly nice to me. There, 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 there was a few and he, you know, and, 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 he, and he stuck up for me. So, um, yeah, I, I keep going back to Kenny and Graham because they were – Kind of two mentors, you know. Um, did they bring you in because you actually looked a bit like Keegan? Didn't you have the same haircut as you? Well, I had the, I had the, the curly hair going on, and uh, Patrick signed me. That was his boot company, and uh, and that was the expectation. But I went, went into the the, the reserves, and uh, as I was actually going out for the first reserve game, I, I walked past a mirror, and uh, I saw you know a bloke, good looking bloke, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> in the, in the mirror with, with a red strip on and I walked past the mirror and then I said, hang on a sec. And I did the rewind, right? Step backwards. And I thought, my God, that's me. That's <laughs> me in a Liverpool shirt. That's me. Incredible. You know? And I just, I just kept staring at the mirror and there was older guys like Phil Thompson who, who were in the reserves or the stiffs as we called them. Um, and, and an older bloke, they said, oh, mate, get over yourself. You know, what are you looking at, you poser? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I wasn't posing. I just couldn't believe <coughs> that I had that Liverpool strip on. And yeah. then going out, even at the reserves, to play at Anfield, right? It, it was just like every day was magic. It, it was. It was. It was. It was a fairy yeah. story. You know, I look back at, at it at, at it now, and uh, so how many yeah. years were you actually at Liverpool? I know you scored forty goals during that time. And the fans, you were you were the fans' favourite for for many of those well, years. Well, well I, I I think the fans loved um, full commitment and full passion and full energy. And uh, I was as fit as a butcher's dog. Uh, and that that and and as I said, relentless about attacking the opposition and winning the ball off them. And as I say, giving the ball to someone that can play, 
uh, like Sunes or Dalgleish or, or any Rashi or any of them, and then making a run um, to give them an option. And, and that's the style of play that we had. Uh, so, 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 so no, the, the, the whole Liverpool, uh, I, I can't find enough words uh, to express. And, um, you know, they were all gentlemen as well. This is the point. This is pre-social media. This is pre a lot of stuff. And I, I think that what I really did was, was bring enthusiasm and um, just commitment and energy. And, and I think that rubs off. Years later, people ask me, who's the best player I feel has ever played for Liverpool? And I, I get in trouble with this answer, right? Um, and pe people seem not to like it. And uh, oh, that's a shame. But who do I say is the best player that's ever played for Liverpool? Good question. Oh, it's a good question. And it's all the obvious answers coming, coming to our head. Yeah, and 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 it, it, it's kind of more than obvious, and uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah. So, given that I said it's about enthusiasm and commitment and uh, desire and love and passion, and uh, you need it like you need food and you need water. You know, you need football. You need that ball. You need to help your mates out and make your mates look good. That's what that Liverpool team was all about. Anyway. Anyway, there's one player that I love more than any other who just got 4 or 5%. I don't care what anyone says. This player got 4 or 5% out of the rest of the Liverpool team, all of them. His name was Luis Suarez. Uh -huh. Interesting. Wow. When, when you start to bite people, right, because you want that ball so much and they're stopping you getting there, you you got issues. I know you got issues, and you <laughs> should never bite other kids. We know that. <laughs> this man was a genius. And people said to me, "Well, what about Dalgleish? And what about Russia?" And I say, "Well, yeah. What about him?" And now and again, they made you stand up and and like, "Oh my God!" and get excited. But Suarez, every ten minutes, you're up. Whoa! What's he done now? You know, what's he done now? You know, it's something beautiful and passionate. Anyway. That's a little little side note. So uh, a little story about uh, Everton very quickly. We were playing at Goodison Park and uh, one of the first games I ever played. And um, I had really, really uh, nervousness. I was really, really nervous because this was a derby and, uh, you know, that legs got broken in derbies and stuff like that. And uh, it was a place for men. So I felt sick in my stomach and... Uh, um, uh, uh, Graham shouted over to me. She, Kruggy, believe it or not, for some reason, was my nickname, Kruggy. Um, apparently, it's a cross between a because I was born in South Africa, but I'm Australian, uh, Australian parents. Um, uh, it's a cross between a Krugerrand <laughs> and a kangaroo, so they called me Kruggy. <laughs> and that was Terry McDermott. So, so that that was my name. So, so Suey said, uh, "Hey, Kruggy, are you all right? You look a bit pale." And I said, oh, I said, feel, I feel sick. And he said, I said, I've got butterflies in my stomach. And he said, oh, what, what have you been eating? And I said, oh, butterflies. Uh, anyway, he didn't laugh either, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a footballer's gag. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so I looked around the dressing room and Kenny was in front of me and Rushi, right? And then Sunes was next to me. And then Alan Hansen and Mark Lawrenson was behind me. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm feeling nervous, imagine how those blokes next door are feeling, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden I felt a lot better. Anyway, I played incredibly well and scored a, scored a lovely goal, a chip to the far post over, uh, forget the, the keeper, but uh, it was a beautiful Amazing. goal. And uh, anyway, anyway, uh, that was the, the sort of mood. And uh yeah, the European games before the, the disaster of um, uh, Heisel Stadium, which, which, uh, which I played in. Um, uh, that was, that's another story for another time. And, and just, just powerfully, powerfully uh, um, sad. And, um, but we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen because we walked around the stadium uh, that day with a couple of the supporters who are good friends and, and you know, George the Fish was one and uh, a couple of the other good guys that are local guys and they said, there's gonna be hell on tonight, but you've all stood in cops, you, you know, it's story for another time and same with, same with Hillsborough, 
I'll, I'll, I'll we'll get, get into that another time. But um, the glory of, of playing in Europe before all that happened, uh, we, we were just unstoppable, you know. And the day I signed, funnily enough, um, for Liverpool was the day they beat um, Real Madrid in Paris. It was a European Cup final in, um, in, in Paris. And they were all meeting, and uh, all of the, the fans were meeting at uh, Le Meridian Hotel just off the Champs-Élysées. And um, it was all crowds of people. You couldn't get near the, uh, the, the bar, obviously. Uh, but then this, this little old uh, Scottish bloke um, uh, who used to be uh, uh, in the mines came along, and his name was Bill Shankly. So Bill Shankly was actually going to the hotel, and the fans... Just, it's like Jesus walking through the, uh, the sea and the sea party. The fans just, and everything went quiet from this raucous noise to people throwing beer and shouting and screaming and singing. Now it was completely silence. And I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Don't forget, I'm an Aussie. I'm not used to all this uh, crowds and noise and, uh, you know, culture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Shankly stood in the middle of Le, Le, the Le Meridian, which was a big, 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 tall, uh, marble-clad um, reception, and he started telling stories. And he's saying, aye, the pitch is going to be greasy tonight, greasy with water, and the ball's going to be zipping off it, so it's the ones that can play. And everybody's hanging on every single word, and the love and the passion that came out of his, uh, his voice and his heart. And that's why people believed in him, you know. And uh, I loved all the Shankly stories that all the old guys that were there way before me, I would always, the, the St. John's and those people, I would buy them beer to sit down and tell me Shankly stories. Wow. So that's it for part one of Craig Johnson's episode. Make sure you subscribe to be notified when part two is released to hear the rest of Craig's story. This podcast has been brought to you by the wonderful creative agency, find out more, visit bewonderful.co.uk.